Well, it's just fantastic, Jason, Dr. Jason Hubbard, to be precise, um, ordained to the Presbyterian Church. Uh, you're a man of letters, a man who's of great, uh, you've done a lot of study, uh, written a lot of uh, reports, and if I understand, you, you're working on a book now, you finished a book, what's the story? Yeah, I'm uh, in the process of writing a book on the cross, on the blood of Jesus and the glory of the Lamb. It's a 40-day devotional. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got it out in a booklet form, but it's not published yet. So, <laughs> But uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's probably my primary passion in life, is, uh, along with the, uh, the Moravians, that the Lamb who was slain would receive the due reward for his suffering. So because of his sacrifice we would give him his due reward. So that's kind of what drives me, and I just I really have a sense that God wants to call us, call me, call my family, uh, the church, back to Jesus as the Lamb of glory, uh, that we would have a fresh passion for the cross and for the blood of Christ. Uh, so, yeah, pray for us on that. We'll see if we can get it out here soon. <laughs> well, please um, send us a copy, and uh, we'll buy some, okay, And uh, for distribution. You know, I'm... I'm crying listening to you share. It's just so beautiful. And I guess I've missed you. We're good friends. We've um, met a number of times over the years in the USA. Um, but it's more than that. It's the, what you're talking about is so profound. It is so profound. Now, just to clarify, this uh, conversation is a, a series of uh, podcasts that we're doing. The title being Great Southland Revival. Great Southland Revival. And myself and Kurt are writing a book, and that's the working title at the present moment. Um, it feels pretty good, sounds pretty good, so I think it could well be the title. We are tracing, um, our dear brother Jason, we're tracing the move of the spirit here, uh, both in amongst indigenous people, um, the, the white, early white settlers, uh, and we're looking at the revivals, particularly in the 1800s in Australia, uh, many people have said to me, there's, there's been no great revival in Australia. It's been lies. Um, there's been many documented revivals right through our history. And we had Billy Graham came in no, 1959, and that was really um, certainly an evangelistic revival, preaching. So we've seen some great moves of God, incredible moves of God over our time. Our constitution of our nation says humbly rely on the blessings of Almighty God. So we're going to try to trace this revival history back to John Wesley, Charles Wesley in England, Whitfield, who came uh, at the same time. We'll look at Jonathan Edwards in the USA, who we believe had a significant influence back into England and back into Europe. We will be looking at Zinzendorf. Now, you mentioned just then the Moravians, Count Zinzendorf. You and I have a particular love um, for Count Zinzendorf. We've studied him. We've, he's the only, I've, I've read three biographies of Count Zinzendorf. There's no one else in Christian, my Christian life I've ever read three biographies. Uh, you know, Billy Graham I might have read twice and, and Wesley I think I've done two, um, but never three. And I just particularly love Count Zinzendorf. Can you tell us why you particularly love Count Zinzendorf yourself? And maybe tell us, he was born, I think, 17, was it 1701? Um, died in 1756 from memory. Um, and it was a relatively short life, but had enormous impact in Germany and right across the world. Tell us about Sinsendorf. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe just quick background on the Moravians, if that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, this year, Warwick, is the 300-year anniversary of the founding of... Herrenhut, um, 1722. So, in fact, it was uh, June 17th when Christian David cut down the first tree and dedicated this small community to uh, to the Lord, and it would be a place would be a, a a place of the watch of the Lord. And in fact, it was Psalm 84 that he uh, declared over that community that they would be a people. That would be a dwelling place for the Lord and for his presence um, in that sense of Psalm 84. So we're actually going to take a trip back there on that uh, on that date this year. We're going to celebrate. I'm bringing some friends with me. You're welcome to come work. Uh, and we're going to do some prayer. In fact, in Herrenhut today, this place of the first Protestant 24-7 uh, prayer 
and the beginning of the, the Protestant missions movement as well, uh, they're going to do what's called fire on the altar, and they're inviting people from different nations to come. And they're going to have 24-7 around-the-clock prayer this year uh, from April through October. So that's going to be pretty exciting. But, yeah, 1722, uh, this group of Bohemian Moravians, they were fleeing persecution. Right? They fled to East Germany. And they were blessed by this wealthy aristocrat named Count Zinzendorf. And their desire was to build a small community on his estate. And so Zinzendorf named this community Herrenhut. And Herrenhut means the watch of the Lord. Uh, it's actually got a double meaning. It means uh, the watch of the Lord uh, in terms of God watching over them. And then also they were standing watch before the Lord in the place of prayer and worship. Uh, that Isaiah 62 that God has posted watchmen on the walls. They sent it. It was a call for them uh, to pray day and night and to give the Lord no rest. And so... <clears throat> I think this is one of the greatest stories of the impact of night and day prayer. I, literally a hundred years of prayer, of Bible-based prayer, what, spirit-led what, what, prayer. 120 or 100? Uh, uh, we can, yeah, we know from the journals that it's at least a hundred years of 24-7. Uh, some of the scholars say up to 120. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm going to stick with 100 because I can know that for sure of the guys that I've looked at in terms of scholarship. But I think you can make a case for 120. Um, certainly for 100 years, it was day and night, every hour covered. They called this hourly intercession. Um, <clears throat> so this 100 years of prayer, it led to the sending of missionaries right to the ends of the earth. Uh, we know of on August 13, 1727, that the Moravians experienced this powerful visitation of the Holy Spirit. It was during a communion service. So as Zinzendorf is preaching on the cross of Christ, on the blood of Jesus, on the glory of the Lamb, the Spirit of God was poured out. They, they described it like a baptism of love, <laughs> where God's love was shed abroad in their hearts and poured out in love for one another. And following this, the Holy Spirit then compelled them to build this canopy of United and strategic and sustainable prayer, and it continued for a hundred plus years. And as they prayed night and day, including men, women, and children, uh, we know of even uh, little children uh, in their, you know, early years of eight, nine, ten years old. They were part of this prayer canopy that God began to mark missionaries. He sent them to the nations of the earth. We know of at least two hundred plus missionaries responded, and they helped to establish. 5,000 missionary settlements around the world. I mean, it's astounding in this day. And what compelled them, of course, to pray night and day and to go on gospel mission was the absolute worth of Jesus. Right? Their, their purpose, their mandate was to win for the Lamb who was slain, the due reward for His sufferings. They cried out as their motto, our lamb is conquered, let us follow him, no matter the cost. And I think that really wraps up who, who Zinzendorf was as, as a man uh, fully in love with Jesus, his Savior, uh, fully devoted to him. Uh, he gave all of his finances to this movement uh, as, a, as, a, as a wealthy aristocrat to, to fund this small community and this prayer movement and these, these missionary endeavors. Uh, he was a man of unity. He longed to see the different streams of the body of Christ come together. Uh, and, but, but ultimately, it was really about his love for the sacrifice of, of his Savior, Jesus. And because of that sacrifice, that we would uh, return to him our prayers, our worship, and our obedience uh, to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Uh, really to proclaim the gospel where it's never been preached before. So I get so inspired with this story. I hope that was okay. But <laughs> I just, uh, I'm so uh, thankful right. that we be talking about this today, Ward. No, look, it, to me, it's, uh, I just find it incredibly inspirational. You, you just showed me something which I hadn't fully realized, uh, but it's, ob it's bleeding obvious when you explain it. it. It's so much that they started this community. They just didn't have a move of the spirit in, in, um, 1725 at that special communion service when there was problems and and disruptions and they came together to to heal these 
divisions in a camp. But in 1722, uh, on the 17th of June, when they chopped the first tree down to build this community, they called it Hernhut, the Watch of the Lord. So it was dedicated at a very, at the very, very beginning as a place to seek God, as a place where God would be sought and would become a place of prayer that would affect the history of the whole world, correct? Correct, yep. Comments? Yep, yep. and uh, these uh, these refugees that were coming, um, you know, we would, we would see this around kind of modern day Czech today, uh, but they were coming into Germany. These were refugees, right? These were men, women, families um, that were fleeing persecution. And so I think that's uh, important for us to hear as well. Uh, out of uh, even laying down their lives, you know, they're coming together now to build a community where God would be pleased to dwell. And we know there's great persecution happening in the world today uh, and in, in a number of different ways. We know right in the West, in Australia, and in, even here in America, in Europe today, we're, we're going towards a post-Christian type culture. And so we get persecuted in, in different ways than maybe somebody in Afghanistan or Yemen or North Korea. But it's still persecution. And so I think there's a call in the church today to you know, learn from the Moravians that in the midst of being aliens and strangers, right, uh, <clears throat> being a, almost a kingdom embassy in a foreign land, that God calls us to be places of God's presence. That we would give ourselves to prayer and to worship and, and simple obedience to the gospel. And that would be our witness to the world. Um, and again, it can have great effects. So I, I think that's another important thing for us to hear in this day. Mm. What would it look like to see 24-7 you know, canopies of prayer, places where God would be pleased to dwell amongst the people in different cities in Australia, in America, in Europe? Um, yeah, just mentioning you mentioned something else i just didn't hadn't fully you know t- connected the dots you talked about how these people were um refugees as in refugees from anti-christian uh persecution anti-christian rulers in czechoslovakia uh in uh, you know poland as it was then in austria actually in parts of germany even france mm-hmm. switzerland uh, you know, possibly italy i'm not sure but certainly that whole region there, uh, they were coming and they were literally, in some cases, they were getting martyred, right? So they came to this community in that spirit of being aware of the cost of following Jesus. And so then they embraced the message that Zinzendorf really, if you like, was passionate about. He was, he was so passionate about the cross, as you said before. He was so passionate that the Lamb who was slain would receive a reward for his suffering. What was the reward? The reward is people coming to Christ. But the effect of these this little community in this little part of backward sort of part of Germany, sort of on the border between uh, Germany and Czechoslovakia, um, it was actually previously East Germany, had enormous impact across the world. And I would argue enormous impact on the revivals that have even affected this nation here of Australia. Um, can you give us some comments about that impact uh, from your point of view as an historian, a church historian and a, and a scholar of, uh, of prayer history? Yeah, yeah. Well, in a number of ways, I mean, the first uh, person that comes to mind, of course, is Charles and John Wesley. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, when they were, some of these Moravians were heading over to America, actually, on a boat to come and share the gospel. Um, Charles Wesley was on that boat and was so impacted by the Moravians. And their John faith. Wesley. John Wesley. John Wesley. I'm sorry. Say, say, yeah, John Wesley. And so impacted by their faith. He was like, what, what is driving them to be in the midst of a storm and being tossed to and fro and, you know, potential they're going to die? What was driving them to have faith, to have uh, peace in the midst of that? And uh, it brought so they a real were singing. They were worshiping Jesus in that storm. From, from yeah, is correct. that correct? Yep, yep. And so, in the midst of this, you know, potential disaster, here they are glorifying the Lamb, and that so provoked uh, Wesley 
and, and, and it caused some curiosity, you know, to rise up in him to the point that he actually went and visited Harrenhut. He actually visited two times, and and one time he actually got to see firsthand. And you read about some of his journals firsthand. Uh, I think the uh, the the thing he noticed the most was their love for one another. They had such incredible unity and oneness. They they lived together not just in community but really as family. Um, and that mark of love for one another so touched Wesley that I think it was one of the keys for him actually really giving his life to Jesus. Um, march forward a little bit with Wesley too, and you see the impact of Zinzendorf. So Zinzendorf. They had, uh, and the Moravians, they had sent missionaries up into um, northern Europe, into England, and even in the area of, you know, today what we would call the UK, uh, you know, Scotland, Ireland, that, that area, and they started 12 missionary settlements in that region. Each of those would have, a, you know, some expression of 24-7 prayer. Uh, they would go into a community to serve first, so they would bring their own um, gifts of uh, baking, craftsmanship, you know, construction, whatever it was, they would bring that and serve the city um, and that community. But they would come and uh, 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 begin night and day prayer. And as they did that, they would reach out to the community with acts of kindness and sharing the simple gospel and, and the power of the blood of Jesus, and people would start coming to Christ. And so these missionary settlements, 12 of these got established. And this is a, I just, it's a sign of Zinzendorf's humility. Um, <clears throat> you know, we know at this time, Wesley began to take off, and the Lord was using him in a powerful way. And, and Wesley really had an apostolic call on his life um, to, uh, you know, to see that missionary work go, you know, um, and accelerate, you know, into different cities, different nations, etc. He was a great discipler, um, <clears throat> and um, uh, Zinzendorf saw that anointing on Wesley, came to him and said, "Zinzendorf, I want to, I want to give these missionary settlements to you, because I believe that you can help this now to multiply in a much greater way." And so. He hands the whole ministry over to Wesley, and a lot of what we see with the, the strength of method, Methodist you know, movement happened because of some of this mentoring from Zinzendorf to John Wesley. It's powerful, powerful. But, but you know, just going back a bit, uh, it was John Helmut, who was a um, Moravian bishop in London, that invited uh, John Wesley who is arguably, I would believe, probably one of the greatest uh, single influences of history over the last 300 years. I don't know if you agree with that statement, but yeah. a, a massive, massive influence uh, out of him came the, 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 the Salvation Army, the, the missions movement, inner city missions movement in the 1800s, the, the Labor Party, arguably, the, the union movement. The whole movement for equality and freedom for women who were very oppressed in the 1700s and 1800s massively and yet that and this whole slavery thing came the end of slavery was because of the preaching of Zinzendorf the missionary work of Zinzendorf and the Moravians which affected Wesley and what happened in 1739 can you tell us the story uh. I'm of sorry. Wesley coming, of Wesley coming to Christ, well, oh, maybe 1738. I, uh, it was 1738. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerful story too. I think I think, and this is the, you know the different journals that I've read, and you know there's a lot of um, scholarship on this that's out there. But at Aldersgate, you know, he gets he comes under such conviction of the holiness of God and recognizes his need of a savior. I mean, up to this point, he really thought he was a Christian in some sense. But after seeing the fruit of the Spirit with the Moravians and others in his life, it's like the Spirit of God came and convicted him to such a degree that it was at this point that he felt like he really consecrated his life to Jesus, truly believed in the power of the gospel and what Christ had done for him. And it just talks about his his heart was just warmed with strangely this. Warm. My heart was strangely warmed, John. Strangely warmed with this, like it's almost like a baptism of the Spirit of God, of the love of God, you know, that was just enveloping him now. Um, 
And, uh, of course, we know that the, the, the different fruit that came out of that. But uh, I just love that story because, you know, a lot of us might have a sense that we're saved. We may truly be born again, you know, putting our faith in Christ and what he's done. But, but you know, to hear that testimony provokes me to look at my own life and say, God, fill me again. You know, touch me again. Uh, I, I, wanna, I want the love of God to so flow through me like a river that, that my life is fully yours. Uh, and uh, no matter what the cost. And so you really see the, I think, the fruit of Zinzendorf's life, you see that now, you know, flowing in the life of John Wesley as well. So powerful it's, story. Just to clarify something, that meeting in Aldersgate in the suburb of London was actually a Moravian prayer slash church meeting. So Wesley, the great reformer, the great revivalist that we all love and know, came by his own confession to a relationship where he believed it was by faith you're saved and i would agree with you too it could well be he was baptized in the spirit at that time um obviously it's hard to sort of you know really understand fully what happened suffice mm -hmm. to say he had a major spiritual experience which gave him uh, assurance by of faith number one it released him and catapulted him into the ministry like nothing else but it all starts with the uh, Dorf, the Moravians back in Hernhut in 1722, as you said, they started in, on the 17th of June, you said, and they started their prayer meeting, I think it was 1725, went for 100 years, and they affected world history and revival history through prayer and multiplying prayer. As you said, I wasn't aware, by the way, of those 12 communities. I was aware that they started communities, but I, and I knew that um, Wesley took those communities over but you've just elucidated that for me and it, it makes me realize even more so the incredible effect of those Moravians anything you'd like to add to that to the effect of those Moravians on um, world history well I'll say here in America a very interesting story um, there's a special place called Moravian Falls in North Carolina it's on the East Coast and uh, this was one of the first places settlements of Moravians um, you know, I think uh, there's several places uh, up on the East Coast, but this place in particular, I think was just, it's just such a neat story because they had established 24-7 prayer. Uh, <clears throat> but not only that, they were reaching out to the Native Americans, our indigenous um, you know, peoples, the Cherokee Indians at that time. And this was a time when they were coming under tremendous persecution. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, uh, when, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with what's called the Trail of Tears, but they actually, yeah, they actually um, uh, pushed out the Cherokee Indians from their land and uh, had to walk this trail all the way from that area right there where this Moravian Falls was all the way down to Oklahoma. And tragic story. They call it the Trail of Tears because so many died. So many uh, died of you know uh, malnutrition and uh, disease and uh, and just really a it's a horrible horrible stain on our nation's history. But the Moravians, some of them, I just this brings tears. But they actually left Moravian Falls and walked that trail with them. Some of them died with them because they cared so much that they're. Uh, uh, people loved of Jesus, of the Savior, just like they were. Um, and so again, you see this place of night and day prayer, but out of that, a love for the Savior, motivated by the cross, and yet being willing now to give their lives for the gospel, literally, um, in some cases. So powerful story. Uh, in fact, there's a, a great uh, church there now called uh, The Gathering, and they have a real call uh, for 24-7 prayer and to continue that legacy of the Moravians here in our nation. So, powerful story. So, just curious, when was the, help me with history, when was the Trail of Tears? It was the early 1800s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is, you know, you, you're thinking time frame here. Um, I, would, I would put it probably, I mean, if you're thinking, uh, I mean, there's some different levels here. So, we're talking 1830 to 1850. It's kind of the time frame, okay? So yeah. um, it depends on when you place the treaty of when the actual 
when this actually happened. Andrew Jackson, of course, was the one that kind of pushed this forward. Um, but we're talking about 60,000 Native Americans, you know, between that, that tribal members that had to move gradually. You know, it, it becomes really a complete migration it occurs over this whole period, at least a decade, at least a decade there. So, um, yeah. And at the same time, you know, many of these Cherokee Indians came to faith in Jesus because he's of these Moravian missionaries, you know. And, of course, they had come over from, you know, traveled all the way over here, uh, settled up in the north, but then came down to Moravian Falls uh, to reach out to the Native Americans. So, mm -hmm. yeah. It's an incredible story, uh, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. Um, it's interesting here in Australia, the Moravian missionaries went out into the deserts, out into... And there's many Moravian, um, uh, you know, remnants, I should say, of the Moravian uh, settlements amongst the indigenous people who they, they had a heart for the broken. They had a heart for those that are on the lower, um, you know, who are hard done by in society. And of course, our, our own history has been quite shocking and stained, a bit like America with our treatment of our indigenous brothers and sisters. It's been quite shocking in many cases and many massacres. But the Moravians were there with the indigenous people in the 1800s, way up in the deserts, uh, setting up communities, setting up uh, churches. And I, all I can say is thank God for the Moravians. Thank God for the Moravians. And tell us about this. Some, a lot of people wouldn't know this, but the, the, the Moravians also sold themselves into slavery. When slavery was legal, uh, even many Christians thought uh, that, that slavery was a necessary evil. They acknowledged it wasn't good, but they thought well, we can't do without it because we just need these slaves. Um, and yet the Moravians could see that it was wrong, but they just didn't talk about it. They did stuff. What did they do? Tell us the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let me uh, just back up just, just briefly. One of the, the things that they would do and the stories you hear about the Moravians, it's just, it's, it's astounding. It really is. Um, I mean, there's, there's stories in journals where they would actually hold uh, funeral services with families because they knew that, you know, the husbands would not be coming back. The dads would not be coming back because they were going out to share the gospel and they were, they were willing to give their lives for the gospel. Um, <clears throat> when they would leave the community uh, they would all be uh, gathered around together and and uh you know two of these men uh the, in fact the first two john leonard dober he was a potter and david Nietzscheman, he was a carpenter they were standing out in front of the community and the community would they they would uh, ring this bell this bell would go out throughout the community and then uh, these two missionaries, these first two missionaries, they turned around and they declared over the community, they said, may the lamb who was slain receive the due reward for his sufferings. Uh, and that's kind of where that, uh, every time a new missionary uh, or uh, two missionaries would head out, they would share this as kind of their, their watchword. You know, they really, these, these Moravians had learned that the secret of loving the souls of men was found in loving the Savior of men, of loving the Lord Jesus. So, uh, yeah, but so back to the story. So on, uh, this would have been October 8th, 1732, there was a Dutch ship that left uh, the Copenhagen in Harbor. It was bound for the Danish West Indies. And on board were these first two Moravian missionaries, John Leonard Dober and David Nietzscheman. And they were both uh, skilled speakers, and you can read about in their journals that they said they were ready to sell themselves into slavery in order to reach the slaves of the West Indies. And so as the ship uh, ship slipped away, you know, they lifted up their cry, right? May, uh, again, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his sufferings now from, from the coast. And so the Moravians' passion for souls, I, I don't think it was... It was only surpassed by their passion for the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, we actually don't know if they did sell themselves into slavery. Uh, I haven't been able to find any um, journals yet that actually say that. Uh, but we do know that that was their heart and their willingness to do that. So powerful. But they ended up having quite, from, from my reading of history, 
church history and revival history, there was actually significant moves of the spirit, as in where hundreds, if not thousands of slaves would come to Christ in these horrible settlements in, in the uh, West Indies uh, and these plantations, sugarcane plantations and other plantations. There was such a move of the spirit that, that they would set up dozens and dozens of churches. Comments? Yeah. Yeah, well, I would say, yeah, probably probably hundreds. I don't know about thousands. <laughs> um, definitely hundreds. And, yeah, I would say at least. I'm trying to go back to original sources. I'd have to go back and, and research that again. But, yeah, probably 10 to 15 churches got started out of those new believers. Uh, so it's yeah, just incredible to, to see, again, they were motivated uh, because of their love for the Savior their willingness to, you know, heed the call of Christ to go share the gospel with people that have never heard before the name of Jesus and then the good news of Jesus. And so, yeah, it was very, it was a very gospel centered type ministry, which I think is, is, is powerful. They didn't just do it because out of sentimentalism, and you see that a lot in missions today, you know, we certainly have a lot of compassion and we care and we have pity. Um, but that shouldn't be the driving force behind why we go. We should be go because Jesus died for them, because Jesus deserves their worship and their their honor. Um, that should be why we pray. That should be why we go. And that's that's really what motivated the Moravians. Amen and amen. Mm. Now, as you've heard, we're writing. And look, thank you so much. It's beautiful you're sharing. Uh, we're writing this book, um, Great Southland Revival. We're tracing the revival stories and the flame of revival through history as best we can, right through to the New Testament, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, it says in Acts. Um, what would be your comment about revival and the need for revival in the church? I mean, the ideal case scenario is that we walk and live and breathe in revival, I believe. But it seems as if the church goes through these periods of, of um uh, of dropping down, dropping down, dropping down, formalism and management and organization takes over uh, from that pa that raw passion for Jesus, raw passion for the gospel, raw passion for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. What are your comments about the need for revival in the church, in America, in Australia, and around the world at this present moment? Yeah, amen. Oh, it's such a good word, Warwick. I think what God's put on your heart is really of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think what's needed first is a revival of the church. And I would say, just in simple terms, revival is God's arrival. And um, Revival is God's arrival. Is that patent <laughs> yeah. it? Is that patent it? I'm not sure if I came up with that or somebody else. I, I don't remember. I've got so many of these quotes in my head, so I can go back and look it up. But, yeah. <laughs> but I, I uh, you know, obviously God is in our midst. He's with us. He's among us as, God, as his people. But there's these moments when God will come with his tangible, manifest presence. And, you know, re revival theologians will call this like a thin space between heaven and earth almost, where... We are in the immediate presence of the living God, um, and He is holy. Uh, he is a jealous God. Uh, he is full of love. In fact, He's so all-consuming that if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, we would be right to send ourselves to hell, right? That we have nothing in us apart from the work of Jesus to stand before a holy God. Um, and uh, that's a great need for the church today, I think. I, you know, certainly there's places that are experiencing this in the world, in the nations. But I, when I think about Australia, when I think about uh, my nation, when I think about Canada, um, we have a great, great need right now for uh, a true visitation, an arrival of God as the Holy One, a return to the, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, where we're standing in awe of Him again. Uh, we're in sync with Him again. Um, in his righteous character and justice. Um, and we, we're not taking him for granted. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, in a place of revering him in some sense. Uh, we're, we have a, an increasing hatred of sin. 
right? To, to fear the Lord is to hate sin and to hate evil. Um, and uh, when I, I just think about, you know, um, where, and I, again, this is a generalization. There's a lot of churches, uh, and there's a remnant of God's people that are on fire, that are walking in the ways of God and, and um, in sync with Him. And He truly is their first love. But I would say, generally speaking, uh, the church in the West is, is not growing. We are not um, seeing numbers of people come to Christ. Uh, we're seeing massive uh, immorality in the church of, of, of uh, internet pornography, addiction, of uh, the divorce rates in, in Christian families. Um, you know, the, even some whole denominations, uh, you know, shifting into false teaching, thinking that homosexuality is biblical and okay when it is, it's just not. Um, so I, I would say we're in need. We really are today. We, we need to come back to a place of deep hunger for God and his presence again. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that really deeply grieves me is the whole issue of abortion. We've, and it, the church is almost sort of silent on it, certainly here in Australia. Uh, yeah. I think, thank God, there's a, a movement amongst the youth in, in America. And there's a, definitely a, um, a rising up with a voice against abortion. And we've got a case now in the court with uh, Roe versus, the, reverse, the possibility of a re re reversal of Roe versus Wade. But it strikes me that the greatest sin that we're engaged in in the West, uh, and it's happening right around the world now, sadly, in, in Africa and other, India and other Asian countries, but it's this, this horrific abortion. Now, we've just legalised in several states here in Australia abortion up to birth. I mean, you know, when we first started out in this project, uh, my wife said to me, I'm not sure about this. And I said, what do you mean you're not sure about a book about revival? She said, well, unless we see a turning back to God and to truth, and also that we reject this wickedness of abortion, is it really revival? Comment about that. Well, yeah. Um, uh, let me put this in a maybe a revival history category for us. How about uh, since you're, you're focused on that? So we had when you go back to in, in American history, uh, the Second Great Awakening, and this would have been um, Charles Finney, uh, Jeremiah Lampfear in the late 50, uh, 1850s. We had um, up to ten thousand people praying, you know, at the lunch at the noon hour. Uh, in cities all across America. This course started in New York. Um, and God poured His Spirit out in remarkable ways. Uh, it was 1859, wasn't it? That, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. Those prayer meetings started, lunchtime yeah. prayer meetings started, and they, they spread right across the eastern seaboard, seaboard, and they even went across the other side to the west coast, didn't they? Yeah, correct. Yeah, And they figured maybe up to a million people came to know Jesus as their Lord, Lord and Savior during that time frame. And in, in that time, in terms of population, that is massive. Um, uh, you know, some great things came out of this uh, in terms of social reform, but the one thing that wasn't dealt with was slavery. 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 And uh, Abraham Lincoln even looked back on, on the Civil War and said, this is the judgment of God because we did not deal with slavery. We had this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, we didn't deal with this issue of, of, uh, of slavery. And um, I, when I think about this situation with abortion, uh, what I would love to see is for us to actually, um, you know, number one, we're, we're going to have to, there's certain things that precede revival. And we're seeing little marks of that, but, you know, great hunger for God, a great returning to God in, as a holy one, uh, deeper levels of repentance and humility and dependence on God, a confession of sin, um, you know, a boldness in the pulpit. You know, instead of the fear of man. I mean, these things are uh, night and day prayer, fervent prayer. Um, all these things are required to attract the presence of the Lord in a, in a revival type atmosphere or atmosphere of awakening. And we know this travailing intercession, uh, weeping over the lost, you know, crying out with, with tears, uh, knowing that, that, that thousands are on their way to a crisis eternity in hell. 
Um, so that, these are the things that must precede it. But we also need to remember that, like I agree with your wife, there are certain things that need to be repented of in terms of social issues that God cares about. Um, and uh, those things need to be addressed. They need to be repented of. Uh, and they need to be turned from. And and we'll never have perfection. You know, we'll never have full 100%, you know, where sin is eradicated. And the demonic is, is fully, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, dealt with 100% until the return of Jesus. Yeah. However, this issue of abortion, at least in America and now in Australia and certain other places, or China, other places around the world, it is a stench in the nostrils of God. It is the innocent shedding of, of blood of precious ones that he cares so, he died for, he cares so deeply about. And, and God's people often just don't care. We just don't care. And, um, you know, that's just not okay with the Lord. It's just not. So I'm so thankful for people like Lou Engel and, and uh, Matt Lockett and others that have been, you know, literally calling people to stand before the Supreme Court with red tape, and, you know, the silent siege and, and, and uh, just entering into the very pain and the burden of these innocent ones. I and mean, we, we talk about racism in our nation today, you know, but the most... The, the greatest place of racism today is the unborn. The, in the womb, yeah. The because womb. A, greater, a, a greater number of black Americans get killed in the womb by far than yeah. white Americans. Yeah. And so there's actually a horrific racism that's conducted against black Americans at their most defenseless point in the womb. And so people say, we've finished with racism, it's all over. No, it's not we are killing babies and particularly a case in america and this is happening here to a certain extent too amongst indigenous people i believe the abortion rate is higher amongst indigenous people and so indigenous people are getting exterminated here in australia i'd say it's the same with the eskimos i'm not sure the red indian people i can't speak about that but i'd guess that certainly i can speak here with authority here in australia and in america you know that and so this racism hasn't gone away, has it? It's it's actually yeah. turned into a genocidal form of racism, yeah. which is targeting the black Americans. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, have mercy on us, God. Oh, it's only the, the, uh, the blood of Jesus that can wash away this kind of sin. Look, um, you just brought up an interesting point, and I do appreciate your time too. Um, uh, you took... I've, I've, as someone, I've been involved in prayer in our nation since the 80s. So that's like uh, 40 years actively involved in the prayer movement. I was just a, you know, a go-for guy helping uh, Noel Bell in the 80s. I, I worked closely with Brian Pickering uh, in the 90s. I was involved in running crusades with my own pastor, Bill Beard, and doing uh, pretty amazing sort of outreaches into some pretty amazing places. Uh, of this nation, working a lot with indigenous people as well. Uh, the more I pray, the more I pray, the more I realize, Jason, uh, that it's about God, that mm -hmm. God gives us the grace to pray. Mm -hmm. From a theological point of view, I'm more an Arminianist, right? Mm -hmm. Which was Don Wesley's position, you know, we have choice. Yes, God rules, but we have choices and we have to make our own way. We have to follow God. But the more I pray, the more I become a Calvinist because I realize that even the, the, the want, the desire to prayer comes from heaven. And so it doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray and we shouldn't stir ourselves up and we shouldn't exercise some free will. But the point of it is that you just said, and this is my conclusion is if it was up to God, if you looked at it from a justice point of view, the whole of Western civilization should be wiped out right now yeah. because of their wickedness. The, we've uh, it, Almost all Western countries have accepted uh, homosexual marriage. We've been killing children now for 30 to 40, 50 years, uh, and it's getting worse. Uh, and so, you know, the immorality, as you've seen, is through the church. It's, it's it, We're dealing with it, internet pornography. Um, the only answer is actually it's not something we can do it's something only god can do 
it has to come through the blood of Christ, correct? Amen. Amen. Yep. Any yep. comments? Well, I agree with that 100%. Um, God is the one prompting us to pray according to his will. And there are great prayer movements rising up all over the earth, which tells me <clears throat> that we are on the hinge of history <clears throat> when it comes to great end time revival. I really believe that. And we're seeing that already in some nations. Um, when I think about intercession, uh, you know, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus asked his disciples to ask him or ask the Father um, and ask in his name. And so there's a great you know, condition and prerequisite to our intercession and our asking. And it's motivated fully and completely because of the name of Jesus. It's because of his renown, right, his character, uh, his majesty, all that he is. So, so I would say in our intercession, we, we, we spend maybe 80% of our time in, focused on the name of the Lord declaring his name worshiping him uh, treasuring him and then and then as we get our eyes on him and his spirit beginning to be poured out upon us because because the holy spirit right comes to glorify jesus right then then all of a sudden we can pray now according to his will it motivates our prayer and our intercession because we're praying from the heart of god now for the glory of god um <clears throat> When I think about what's, what we need to really pray for right now in the church is for what I like to call a Christ awakening, where the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to reawaken God's people in the church back to God's Son, Jesus, for all that He is. So when we see Him, we will be awakened to Him, and we'll join Him in His prayers. But he, he's worthy, right? He's all deserving of all of our worship, all of our obedience, all of our intercession. Um, uh, but but we, it starts with, with, uh, with us being fascinated with beholding him. As we behold him, then we become like him. So, amen and amen. Wow. I tell you, it's just incredible talking to you. And again, I do appreciate your time. Um let's finish off by praying and i'll pray for america you pray for australia um just let me share something with you um you know i believe the history and the purpose of god for australia and for america is somehow intertwined right um we have our nation has fought with you guys in wars more than any other nation on the face of this earth more than England, more than any country in Europe, any country around the whole world. Somehow or other, we've joined and locked in with you. You've locked in with us, so you saved our skin. America saved saved Australia in, in the uh, Second World War. And that's a, just an absolute fact. A lot of Australians have forgotten that, but I don't forget it, right? Why am I saying this? I believe we have to encourage each other and pray for one another every morning. My wife and I pray for revival for Australia and revival for America. We are praying for other countries as well, but if we lose those two countries and we lose the Christ message in America, we lose the Christ message in Australia, I think we've sort of almost, it seems as if we could lose the world. Now, God could do a miracle in some other way and raise up, you know, he's raising up African nations and, and Latino nations, thank God for that. And he might have that plan and that might be plan B. But I do believe that plan A for God is for us to rediscover our roots because America has a deeply Christian heritage. Australia has a deeply Christian heritage. We have to come back to Christ. As you said, we need a Christ awakening. We need a, a fresh revelation of the cross and of the lamb who was slain mm -hmm. and a love for the lamb who was slain. And we need to awaken people in our respective countries to get on their knees and pray like they never prayed before. Yeah. Because we are in danger of judgment. That's a whole nother story. But let's mm -hmm. pray right now. <laughs> you know, I'll pray uh, for, for America now mm -hmm. and uh, stand with you. And I just honor you and I love you as a leader, a world leader right now in the prayer movement. 
if not the world leader, but certainly one of the top leaders in the whole world in prayer. And I think it's a great honor to know you, great privilege to work with you. And of course, John Robb, who's a very dear friend of both of us, um, who was the previous uh, leader of the International Prayer Council. But let me pray for America and you can pray for Australia. Lord, we just thank you. I just pray for America in particular. And I pray for Jason Hubbard, that you would fill him with your spirit, guard him, direct him, bless his wife, uh, Christy Lord in Jesus name, bless the children, bless the ministry in Bellingham, bless their uh, outreach uh, through the International Prayer Council around the world. We just pray that you'll bring the right people into that prayer council and you'll raise up prayer. And as my brother has said, that there'll be a, uh, a coming together of the missions movement and the prayer movement in Jesus name. Lord, bless the nation of America. Let revival and reformation and repentance come to America in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, Father, thank you. I receive that. Thank you for Warwick. Lord, I bless this man, your son, whom you love, with whom you're well pleased. Thank you for this servant, he and his wife, and uh, their whole team. Uh, the National Day of Prayer and Fasting and so many different ministries all throughout Australia, God. Thank you that you've used Warwick as a forerunner. Lord, that he's declaring, behold the lamb who was slain. Behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I pray for that anointing upon him and other leaders throughout Australia. Lord, that you would call the people of Australia to behold you, to see you, to fix their eyes upon you, to return to you. Lord, we pray for canopies, 24-7 prayer. Lord, you're worthy of that. I pray that cities and churches, Lord, throughout Australia, God, they would um, come before you, deep humility, dependence on you, and cry out to you, oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. I bless this nation. I honor them above myself. I pray again you do more in their nation than you do in America. God, I pray we'd follow their lead, that, that there would be such a wave and a wind of the Holy Spirit, that this would truly be the south wind revival of the Holy Spirit. God, it'd be a nation that's so set ablaze with the Holy Ghost, all for the glory of Jesus. God, I pray and ask you'd use these leaders to cultivate, and to foster that kind of an atmosphere that would be attractive to your presence. God, would you come and arrive in Australia, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Look, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank mm -hmm. you for your love for our nation. You poured a lot of effort into this nation and prayer. We thank you for that. And we want to stand with you, my brother. Uh, as you serve Jesus. God bless you. Thanks, Warren. Wonderful. See you. <laughs>